Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our conversations podcast where we spend a bit of time talking about the type of people that we want to become in our communities and in our homes. We hope that this encourages you to live a little bit more like Jesus taught us. God bless you. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to our Conversations podcast. I'm Corey, and I'm joined by Micah today. Hello. And we're going to do just a little bit of an interview about a recent experience that Micah and a team had of traveling to India. So, Micah, we don't really need to know tons about your itinerary, but tell us a little bit about that journey and how tired you are coming back. Uh, well, I mean, the, the trip home is always interesting. Uh, we flew out of a, uh, a city that I pronounce as Vishkahapatnam, although the locals laugh at me every time I say it, and uh, over to New Delhi. And then from New Delhi, which is, I think, below the equator, straight up through Russia and parts of Europe over in the North Pole, uh, waved at Greenland, down through Iqaluit, and straight into Toronto, and then home again. Nice. So that was a weird trip, and uh, I think most of the team, I, I've seen them since we got home, I think most of the team is over jet lag now. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, coming back from uh, some of the things that we were doing over there, straight into the Christmas season, which is what we're prepping for now, uh, I think most of us are having a little bit of culture shock, but overall, we're doing pretty good, I think. Well, I'm glad to get a chance to talk to you about it. We have partners there in India, and this is... Collectively, I guess our third trip over, and so your second, yeah, and you will uh, you'll you'll have seen things on your second trip that I'm sure you haven't seen on your first. There are a couple of projects that we're working on over there, and I'd love to hear somewhat of an update on them. So the first one is we work with the Saura people, and for those of us who are just tuning into this and hearing that word for the first time, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the exciting things that the Saura yeah. people are up to and the projects there. So, as you said, they're an entire people group that live in uh, what is essentially the foothills of the Himalayas, uh, and that part of it is called the Serengo, which every time I say that, I think it should be in Africa, but I think that's a, the Serengeti. But the, uh, the Serengo is a pretty mountainous region, at least compared to the east coast of Canada, and it was first... Uh, reached by Canadians, really, by, by Western missionaries, for whatever that means, back in the 60s. Uh, some of the first CBM workers uh, kind of beat a trail in from the main drag. And the Saura people were mostly uh, off the grid. They're, they're a group of people that uh, India describes as aboriginals, which would be closely akin to uh, our concepts of First Nations here in Canada. There's obviously differences, but it's close to that. Or perhaps that's our closest understanding. And uh, they have been living in that region for thousands of years. And what's really fascinating is that since the 60s, it seems like the entire region has come to Jesus. Hmm. Uh, and that is a an incredible thing. Uh, our forefathers and uh, foremothers that went before us really kind of lived out the Great Commission. And it's a reminder for all of us of the, the change that can happen as we try and do that. So they planted over 800 churches, we know, maybe even over 850. Uh, they're still doing that as, as far yeah, as you can tell? Well, I, 
the last time you and I were over, mm-hmm. we asked them, you know, where where do you think you'll be spreading the gospel next? Like, where what mm-hmm. parts of your region need churches? And they said, no, we're all done. <laughs> we all know Jesus. Which I was like, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. But it turns out, no, really, they've they've pretty much taken the gospel everywhere within their tribe. As you said, there's 830 churches when they have their annual get-together. There's 160,000 people come together in little rural villages uh, to talk about Jesus and the difference he's made in their lives, which is just incredible. So really, so they are working. started working with another tribe now, oh. which we met the last time we were over. Uh, and they are actively taking the gospel to the Kui tribe, which oh. is pretty exciting. Yeah, we had a chance to meet them on our first trip over together. Yeah. Well, some of them, yeah. 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 Wow, that's great. Uh, but they're also working. Uh, can you give us a little bit of an update on what they're doing for community development? And one of the ways they're working is adult literacy. Now, did you notice anything since we've been there last in the adult literacy program? Yeah, some good stuff and some hard stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Um so the adult literacy program is a uh, a ministry that uh, our our people on the ground the locals have started doing because uh, a number of their adults were not literate and as a side effect some of their kids who weren't getting the schooling that uh we would hope that they would get would attend in the evenings so in theory they'd be in school in the day and then to kind of top off or finish up some uh, extra help, they would come in the evenings to uh, with their parents. One of the interesting things that's happened in the last couple of years since you and I were there, Corey, at least this is what we understand, is that um, most of the men have actually gotten enough literacy that they're able to apply and receive employment elsewhere. And so there's been a bit of a mass exodus of the men heading out of state, uh, out of the region uh, for employment, which has really changed the demographics of the region. Mm-hmm. So the adult literacy programs now are actually mostly kids uh, or late teens mm-hmm. uh, because the the adults are trying to adjust to this new reality. Now, there's- we on the east coast of Canada, we understand this. A lot of our friends have gone west. Uh, for employment. And so we, we've got some experience of what that's like. There's some challenges for Christians there that are not unique in history, but unique t- to us. So what's, what's the latest there? We, Cause these are things we need to pray for this, these people about. Yeah. I mean, their tribe are all Christians. So amongst themselves, uh, there's no, um, persecution. Uh, in fact, they're quite careful not to, uh, come down on people who don't walk with Jesus. But they are relatively unique in that region, uh, in that the, the Christian faith is a, a significant minority in the general population. And so there would be uh, some people of other faiths, not, not all of them by any stretch, but there would be some that are very... Uh, strong in their feelings about Christians and what should happen to them. And many of our friends are on the receiving end of those emotions and uh, opinions. We heard stories of people being kidnapped and uh, people being burned alive and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I, I'm sure we can make it, 
quite heart-wrenching, but that might not be fair to our friends because I might not have a full understanding of everything or even the implications of their stories. So Mm. it is definitely, they are experiencing persecution, uh, many of them, and it's something that we need to be praying about Mm. and praying for them. Yeah, I wanted to connect on that one because that's, you know, it's close to my heart. And I imagine that you probably experienced more of a police presence than you had on, on the other trip too. Yeah, that was very, very, uh, manifest. We'll put it that way. Mm. They were just about everywhere we went. And usually we had the understanding that they were there for our, our own protection because, uh, Westerners coming into these regions is fairly uncommon. Mm. And so there'd be assumptions about the type of activities we'd be doing that, uh, could result in violence. And that, that was something that they wanted to avoid and we want to avoid. Mm. Well, let's come down under the mountains for a bit and move to another area of India that you visited. And that's a, a village, they call it, or a town, I suppose, called Tuni. And yeah. there's a school there that we have very close connections with, it's Eva very, Rose York School. Yeah, it's Tell very, us a little bit. It's a very small town, uh, only three or 400,000 people, <laughs> uh, which I still don't have my head around. But yeah, Tuni is a uh, an interesting spot. They experienced some flooding. A couple of years ago, there was a major uh, cyclone, in fact, a super cyclone. That caused quite a bit of damage. Eva Rose York has a legacy of providing theological education. Uh, but there's several institutions now that can do that. And so it's pivoted over the last decade or so to providing uh, a technical education for young women. Uh, specifically women that would probably be forced into marriages that, that we wouldn't want to see uh, our daughters in. Uh, or forced into labor situations that we wouldn't want to see anybody in. So uh, these young ladies stay at Eva Rose York for the most part. There's a, a couple that come in on a daily basis, and they get basic training in uh, things like beautician work is what they call it, uh, hair care, beauty parlor, nails, those kind of things. A couple of our team uh, fondly remember having henna, put on their arms. So there's some beautician stuff. There's some uh, typing skills, some basic computer skills, which I was able to help with. There is uh, some basic business, gardening. Uh, they even have a, uh, a side business for the school generating a, a very high-quality compost, which in this part of the uh, region is quite valuable. So it's it's kind of a, it's a fun school, seeing how they are providing a, a total different option for these gals lives and we got to see some of the fruit of it while we were there there's a student that we knew two years ago and she had a a lot of things going against her Uh, the cards were kind of stacked against her for a whole variety of reasons but as a result of the training that she got she's been able to uh, be hired to actually provide similar training to people in more rural villages other women and so she not only has a better life, but she's providing um, the skills needed for better lives for, well, we stopped in at one school and she was training 20 people there Mm. uh, in basic sewing skills, which is fantastic. It's great to hear that multiplying factor there. there. And then also that, that girl, she had a lot of mobility issues. And so it's great to see that she was 
the Lord was making use of her. Yeah, there's a lot of domino effects uh, taking place. Yeah. So let's change gears a l- little bit. Uh, you had the chance to worship once or twice at least in India while you were there. Tell me, what's worship like there in India without us being able to actually go there? And you don't need to sing their mm-hmm. songs for us. because Well, that, yeah. that's a good thing. Right? <laughs> uh, worship, it's kind of funny. It's It's similar to worship here in Canada. Depending on which church you go to, it's going to look radically different. Hmm. Uh, some churches are very uh, set in their patterns. We do this kind of song for this length of time, and then this kind of song for this length of time, and then we do an offering, and then another song, and a prayer, and then others are much more free-flowing. Uh, the one that I was at this last week, uh, this last trip, uh, it was kind of free-flowing, and uh, there was no pre-subscribed or prescribed order of service. It kind of flowed as the pastor felt uh, it should. And those who know me will get a chuckle out of this. He uh, he had somebody come up and sing a song, and then somebody came up and uh, prayed. And then uh, he turned to look at me and said, and now you will sing. <laughs> and I went, no. <laughs> and uh, kind of our guide over the last couple of trips went, no, no, you can sing now. No. Was there any doubt in your mind? <laughs> no, it was pretty concrete. <laughs> Maybe even a chorus. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it uh, it was pretty good. It, like, I think they laughed at me after I left. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, um... Maybe just to, I know there were a couple of other places that you visited as well. Um, when you went to Kakinada, uh, mm. you, I think you had a chance to teach at the theological school there, the Baptist theological school. Yeah. I don't know if I call it teaching. We got to lead a seminar, uh, a yeah. seminar. Well, take part in a seminar and, uh, at this theological school, there are a number of young people learning uh, and studying to become pastors. Uh, there's a great need in that region we were talking about earlier with 830 odd churches there's only 31 pastors and they're they're training up the next generation now mm. uh so we got to sit down and talk about uh the realities of uh, ministry life and what that looks like and of course there are differences between you know east coast of canada and the east coast of india mm. but there it turns out there's a lot of similarities and we got to talk about practicalities and and uh, uh, some implications of life choices and all those kind of things. And that was a lot of fun. Hmm. Well, that's good. Uh, I just wanted to go over some of the territory in India so that we can pray for it in a mm. more informed way. The school also will not forget that I'm, I'm sure they're still continuing with the Guardians of Hope program uh, where yep. families of those impacted by HIV AIDS as well, so we need to pray for all of these things and more. Mm. But just as we close here, I was wondering what uh, what are one or one or one or two things that you may have learned um, and experienced over there that yeah. you'd like to share with us. Uh, perhaps the biggest thing I learned this trip, uh, and it's a little bit more complicated than just a one line bumper sticker. Uh, CBM, the network that we're a part of uh, here at Emmanuel. CBM is kind of our international relief and development wing. Um, it's very focused on something called integral mission. Uh, that's I don't know if it's a phrase that they made up or if it's a common phrase in international work, but essentially what it means is equipping the locals to do the work. Hmm. 
One of the things that's hard on every Canadian that goes over to India is we've got a long legacy of ministry there, uh, over a hundred years now. In fact, all, close to 125, I think. And we've been doing uh, ministry work there for as long as we can possibly remember. And we've been doing everything we possibly can. But there was a, a time in the 70s when, because of some political realities, we were asked to leave and we transferred all of that work to the locals, many of whom are incredibly faithful. But one of the things that we did wrong uh, was that we didn't build up the local ministry, the local leaders, uh, and equip them as much as we should have. We we were kind of subscribing to an old school model of thinking. And what happened is that a lot of the ministries floundered and are still recovering from that time, that transfer. And what CBM learned out of that was if we don't equip the people on the ground to do the work and see the work and carry the vision, then we are only writing down and making happen what we think here in Canada should happen on the east coast of India. Where if we can equip the locals and demand that they do as much as they can rather than rely on us and then step in to fill the gap where we can, what winds up happening is a much longer term, more sustainable and uh, ministry which bears a lot more fruit than if we just... Well, we've got a heartbeat for making sure everybody has a pair of shoes. So let's go and make sure, let's build a bunch of shoe factories that aren't really needed. Uh, so this equipping the locals to do the job uh, is a huge thing that will ultimately result in a lot less wasted energy. Okay, well, thanks. Here's praying that what we learned about integral mission and equipping people will transform things here as we hear the stories about that. Well, thanks everybody for listening today. Uh, Thanks for checking us out. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, we'll see you. I normally just start with a, well, hello everybody. I think I'm ripping off Kermit the Frog. Could you write that down for me, please? Sure. (laughs) 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 Oh, that'd be so good. I can see it right there. According to this, my line is, hello. Yeah, I need cue cards for this. Well, welcome everyone to this podcast today. Uh, I'll start that again. Well, welcome everyone to our Conversations podcast. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, you are sorry. I'm going to make you sorry. I'm going to ask you the toughest questions ever. No, it's the, um, I need cue cards for this. (laughs) Well, hello. Oh, wait, I need to start again. (laughs) 